Practice Podcast. I am Dr. Mary Marion, an Associate Editor of NCP. The theme for the August 2020 issue of NCP is geriatrics, which is so timely since the majority of our adult patients admitted to the ICU are over the age of 60, with many of these patients also being obese. Joining me today to address this topic is Dr. Roland Dickerson, the author of the paper entitled, Protein Requirements During Hypocaloric Nutrition for the Critically Ill Older Patient with Obesity, an Approach to Clinical Practice, which will be published in the August 2020 issue of NCP. Dr. Dickerson is a professor of clinical pharmacy and translational science at the University of Tennessee Health Sciences Center, and he is also clinical coordinator and clinical specialist for the Nutrition Support Service at Regional One Health in Memphis, Tennessee. Thank you, Dr. Dickerson, for joining me today. Before we start our discussion, I'd like to ask Dr. Dickerson if he has any disclosures on this topic to share. No, I have no disclosures. Okay, thank you for sharing that. As your article so eloquently expresses that obesity and aging are associated with sarcopenia, insulin resistance, and anabolic resistance, and we've been hearing for a while now that providing adequate protein may be essential for promoting positive outcomes in these patients with critical illness. Why do you think there have only been two studies that have been completed to date assessing nutritional needs for the obese critically ill given the aging population who is also obese? That's a good question. Uh, I sometimes ponder that question myself. Uh, I think it has to do with uh, the opportunities to truly uh, investigate that unique population. Uh, it is an expanding population uh, that we are all now encountering and will continue to encounter over the next decade or so as us uh, baby boomers, myself included, get older. But at the same time, uh, uh, it, it's perplexing uh, that there's not more data in that area. Right. So if anybody's listening to this podcast, we can certainly encourage them to start collecting some data, right? Sure. <laughs> okay. So I think this is a really challenging area for clinicians because um, one of the recommendations is to use indirect calimetry in practice to determine actual energy needs. And then many times clinicians can determine protein needs based on energy needs. So for example, taking like 20 or 25% of the total calorie needs and turning that into a protein requirement. But because clinicians typically use weight-based calculations, what weight do you suggest that we should use to determine nutritional needs for the obese, elderly, critically ill patients? I think it's difficult to estimate how much energy older patients need, uh, particularly those with obesity, and you're always trying to avoid overfeeding those individuals uh, as it can result in worsened complications associated with their obesity. So from that standpoint, uh, when you start to use a particular weight, what I tend to do is think about trying to use hypochloric feeding. That is making sure I'm not by not overfeeding that patient. Uh, so whatever weight you tend to use, if you're going to use a weight-based regimen, uh, it's extremely important to try to be conservative in your caloric 
intake. For me, I think the easiest approach is just to use ideal body weight. Uh, and, and so I generally try to keep the, the total caloric intake less than 25 and, and certainly no more than 26 calories per kilo per day. Uh, there's not a lot of great evidence for that, but I think when you do that, most of the time you're going to be using a caloric intake, which will less likely to cause complications associated with overfeeding. Right, and I think that's a really good point. And one thing that's just crossing my mind as you were discussing what weight to use and most of the guidelines, and you just said also to use ideal body weight, do you think clinicians should be using maybe upper ideal body weight because many times these patients may have more bone density or more muscle mass? I'm not sure I know what you mean by upper body weight, uh, ideal body weight. There's, you know, conventional equations to calculate that. Uh, I think older patients in general have less body mass. Uh, I think that's a, a factor of aging in itself, that you have more body fat, and less mu muscle mass. But at the same time, uh, I think uh, you, you can have some obese patients uh, that are still functioning and carrying that extra weight, and they may actually have more muscle mass. So it, it's a hard thing to assess clinically uh, without uh, some advanced nutrition assessment tools. Right. And in your practice, do you use any advanced nutrition assessment tools to maybe identify muscle mass? Uh, we do not, unfortunately. Uh, I wish we could, but we do not have that capability. And I think a lot of clinicians are in the same boat as we are. And you're taking your best uh, educated guess as to what the patient's energy needs are. And, and as a result of that, for our practice, we tend to compensate by trying to provide sufficient amount of protein. And again, we use a crude measurement, but uh, that's probably the best we have at this point. And we will collect a 24-hour urine for both creatinine and urea nitrogen and calculate a nitrogen balance. So based on that, we can readjust at least our protein intake to try to, if possible, achieve nitrogen equilibrium. And that's a great segue into my next question is I thought it was interesting that in your study, you found that critically ill, obese, older patients were in negative nitrogen balance when you were giving them 2.3 grams per kilo. And so I'm wondering, based on what you just said, doing your negative nitrogen balance studies, are you finding that they need more protein than that today or less protein? And given that ICU care has improved since you did your study, um, what are your suggestions for, or what are you finding that these older obese patients need in terms of protein grams per kilo? Well, I think overall, you have to kind of look at the population. In our population, if you look at our 2012 study published in J-Trauma for non-obese patients, providing two to two and a half grams per kilo per day of protein uh, only achieved nitrogen equilibrium in about half of the patients, and, and the mean nitrogen balance was negative. So they're a very highly catabolic group. So this was not that surprising in, in our study that we would have that negative nitrogen balance, you really can't overcome the massive catabolism of multi-trauma. 
until they start to turn the corner and start to heal their wounds and are resolved of infections. And so that can be a couple weeks out or longer for a lot of these patients before they can really start to recover. So the goal for that kind of a population is try to reduce the amount of uh, catabolism as much as we can. So that nitrogen balance uh, in our 2013 study, looking at older and younger patients with obesity, that's not really surprising. And it's actually, I think, pretty good. I mean, we've seen some patients that are highly catabolic uh, without uh, any protein. The mean nitrogen balance uh, for non-obese patients was minus 20. And I've seen as high as minus 40, minus 50 in certain circumstances. So they're extremely catabolic. So as a result of that, then uh, we just, you know, collect a 24-hour urine, assess uh, the urine to make sure it's accurate, uh, look at our nitrogen balance at that point, and readjust if necessary. So having said that, in your in your article, you discussed that many of these patients may need up to starting with 2.5 grams per kilo and greater than that. So based on your 2013 study, do you think maybe we should start with 2.3 grams or would you suggest that we just do a nitrogen balance study and start from there? What recommendation would you give for those practicing in the field? Well, I think uh, it's based on actually uh, Pat Choban, a bariatric surgeon up in Ohio, and I combined our databases together in an earlier NC publication, actually back in uh, 2005, and, and also the SECM Aspen guidelines, uh, and as well as the Aspen guidelines for obesity, kind of uh, use that data to suggest patients whose BMIs are, are less than 40 to start out at two to two and a half grams per kilo per day. And then when you're above 40 in BMI, uh, to target a 2.5 gram per kilo per day protein intake. And, and that's kind of what we do now uh, in our practice. And then we reassess using nitrogen balance. Uh, and if we have to increase the protein, we will do that. We kind of cap it empirically at uh, three grams per kilo ideal body weight per day, because at that point, you're probably at the point of, of where you're plateauing in terms of your nitrogen balance. You're not going to get any further benefit. Of course, in an older patient, you're going to have to also assess that with renal function. So you're going to be looking at BUN changes and that sort of thing and, and coming up with what you think might be the best solution for protein intake in those individuals. Given that you've said that you might go up to three grams per kilo protein, um, that makes people kind of nervous in the older patient where their kidney function might be not ideal. And in your article, I thought this was interesting that you mentioned the kidney function appears for many older people and obese, that um, kidney function is preserved until you're 80. So as a clinician, what do you think the best marker is as an indicator of kidney function? Should we be looking at GFR or should we be looking at BUN creatinine ratio or um, something else? What do you suggest? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and again, I, I think everyone wants the, the clear-cut answer, and I think this is where clinical skills and judgment comes into play. When you start to use things like uh, creatinine clearance estimated from, you know, serum creatinine concentration and uh, the patient's age and, and gender, or if you go a little more sophisticated with MDRD and you start looking at uh, a race as well, those formulas are really uh, 
limited in their accuracy. Uh, and it really depends on, on uh, your population. For example, uh, in our population, we recently found that uh, about 50% of our patients have augmented renal clearance. And that means that what you predict for them, uh, they can be much higher than that. And that's very typical for our patient population. So depending on your population, if you have, uh, for us, it's mostly trauma patients, but if you have trauma and burn patients, they're notorious for having augmented renal clearance, which means using simple formulas may generally underestimate their actual renal function. But if you have another population, say it's a medical ICU population where they have chronic diseases, diabetes, long-term diabetes, or hypertension, and some of these other diseases where renal function may be compromised even before they get to AD, obviously. So you, you really have to assess that. So how do you assess it? Well, uh, we'll put them on a particular protein intake and see how they respond in terms of their BUN climbs quickly and there's no evidence of, uh, of dehydration going on, then you're thinking, well, this patient may have uh, impaired renal function more so than you expected. Whereas uh, if you give the patient a fairly high protein load and, and their BUNs only modestly increase, then you may say, okay, they can handle this protein load. So it's really more clinical judgment than a particular marker. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point, and it makes me curious to know what would you do in your practice if, for example, you have a 65-year-old obese male that just had a cabbage on the GFR reflex stage 3 chronic kidney disease. So at that point, what level of protein grams per kilo would you feel comfortable starting with in that patient? And then what kind of recommendations can you provide to the listeners about how do you push that protein up to maybe achieve some of the recommendations that you've been recommending, like the two, 2.5 grams per kilo? Yeah, uh, that's, again, a difficult question, but uh, I'll try to address it. I think the way we approach patients where there is significant renal dysfunction, with the concept of using hypochloric, high-protein nutrition, you have to give a significant amount of protein to compensate for the lesser calories. And there's really no data to support what I'm going to say, but this is our empiric approach to how we deal with patients with significant renal disease that are obese. Uh, we feel like if you cannot give that kind of a protein intake, you're having rising BUNs, uh, you're concerned about uh, worsening in renal function, then you have to uh, liberalize your caloric intake. And so we may use, uh, say, the Penn State equations, for example, if they're on the ventilator. And that, that was created in trauma patients, which works out great for us. Uh, or if they're not a, a trauma patient or they're not on the ventilator, you may have to use the Mifflin equations. And we will provide that caloric intake at the same time assessing, uh, you know, glycemic control and some of the other things that you have to be concerned with, with overfeeding, and then reduce the amount of protein. But just reducing the protein while giving hypochloric nutrition may not be the best approach when you cannot give sufficient amount of protein to achieve or attempt to achieve nitrogen equilibrium. Yeah, and I think that's a good point because as we do see more older obese patients in the ICU who have a history of comorbidities like diabetes and hypertension, we're likely to see them come in with some kind of renal impairment 
it certainly could be exacerbated with critical illness. So it is, I think, a very common challenge in our settings. And I guess many times maybe we hope that then you can institute some renal replacement therapy, which then would allow you to give optimal amounts of protein. That's true. Well, I know a lot of us face this balancing act between trying to push the limits of giving not too many calories, but giving a lot of protein, but then really watching the BUN and the creatinine level and see how the patient tolerates it. And like you said, with the renal augmentation in function, maybe that's why a lot of times we can get away with more protein than um, we think we can when we start out with patients and probably just monitoring those over time and maybe eking up the protein a little bit more um, and see how the patient tolerates it might be the best approach. I would agree with that. Okay. Do you, in your practice, use, let's say, um, a minimum GFR level to kind of start with that higher level of protein, the two grams per kilo or even higher than that? Uh, not really. Uh, we really just uh, assess that patient. Again, it just depends where they're, what's going on with them. Uh, is their renal function deteriorating uh, while they're in the ICU? Uh, is it stable? We don't have a set rule. It was, it's kind of a empiric clinical practice, and we, we may put them on something uh, if we're a little concerned, maybe in the one and a half to two gram per kilo range, and then just uh, per ideal body weight and see where their BUN goes. But it's a very uh, driven by more, not so much what their serum creatinine is today or what your predicted creatinine clearance is, but more or less how they respond to what you give them. And most people don't put the patient on, you know, a, a full uh, nutrition the first day anyway. So you're advancing up over two or three days and you can see how they respond. And you may have to readjust your goals based on how they respond. Yeah, exactly. And I'm wondering if on the other side of the trajectory, as patients are getting better and let's say they move from the ICU to the floor, do you feel like there's any need to adjust downward the amount of nutrition or at least protein that we're giving those patients as they come out of the catabolic phase and more into an anabolic phase? Or do you keep your support consistent? Again, I think it depends on how aggressive you had to be while in the ICU. If you're in the two to two and a half gram per kilo range uh, already, uh, and you're giving a hypochloric regimen, you could probably keep them in that. Although uh, when Pat Choban and I combined our databases together, we saw that those that were not in the ICU could achieve nitrogen equilibrium at lower protein intakes, so, you know, 1.8, 1.7 grams per kilo per day. And when we did the regression equations is where they, you know, the mean intakes where they could still achieve nitrogen equilibrium. Uh, but the whole concept of trying to, you know, use low calories, you do have to kind of push the protein on that. Right. And I think what you just said about the higher protein needs, um, 1.7, 1.8 grams goes along with some of the research coming out in healthy people that older people, maybe not so much the obese, but just based on their age alone, that they need close to 1.5, 1.6 grams just to maintain or lessen loss of lean body mass when they're not hospitalized. So 
Um, I think as clinicians, we just need to start recognizing that older people need a lot more protein than the RDA suggests currently at this time, and they haven't changed over time. Sure. And I think uh, if you looked at our, our J-PEN paper, we kind of tried to sort that out in critically ill, non-obese patients and older versus younger. And we actually saw that uh, they responded totally differently uh, in terms of increasing protein intake. Uh, they actually didn't start to improve their nitrogen balance for the older patients until you hit about one and a half grams per kilo per day. Whereas uh, the younger patients, they had a a concave kind of uh, relationship, whereas, you know, the, the, the older patients, they, they were flat early on, and, and, and until we hit 1.5, then they started having an improvement in nitrogen accretion, whereas the younger patients had a, a gradual increase in, in uh, improvement in nitrogen accretion, and they started to plateau out when you started to hit around two grams per kilo per day, although uh, there's a lot of variability in both of that data. Just to say that there's a whole different outlook in how younger and older people uh, respond to protein intakes. And I think it's important for clinicians to think about what was their protein intake before they even came into the hospital. And we know in general, most older people are not getting enough protein. And if we're talking about they need 1.5 grams in the non-hospitalized world, and then they step into a catabolic state, we're looking at significant changes in that that we're probably not paying attention to or, or providing at this point in time. So I think your article is just, like I said at the beginning of our podcast, very timely in that we need to start reassessing where we stand in terms of what type of not only hypocaloric care that we give, but maybe ratcheting up the protein provision as well. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Well, I don't have any more questions for you. Do you have anything else that you would like to add based on your research and depth of clinical experience? Well, the only thing I really have to add is I would hope others would help contribute to this area. There's a lot to be learned still. There's a lot we don't know. We really need more data and more information to uh, help improve the care of, of older as well as younger patients with obesity. And I would uh, call upon the listeners of this podcast to go forth and try to help us solve some of these questions and problems. Especially since our patient care population is likely to continue expanding in this type of patient population. Well, thank you, Dr. Dickerson, for sharing your expertise with our listeners. I invite our readers to find out more about this topic and other challenges regarding nutritional care of the elderly in the August 2020 issue of Nutrition in Clinical Practice. <music>